the Sunday Sermons Podcast. So why am I here? Now, it's Youth Takeover Sunday, so that's why I am up here. But I'm talking much more broadly. As in, why am I alive? Why do we exist? Now, that's a question we've all struggled with at some point, right? I know I've struggled with the question. In fact, it's about this time last year that I was asking the exact same question, going down the exact same road that almost all of us have traveled down at some point. I was asking the question, why am I here? Now, I asked family, friends, I asked John, I asked Billy, and everybody gave me good answers, but nothing that could satisfy me. Until I started asking God. Now, I love to write. Anyone who knows me knows that I love to write down prayers, songs, stories, whatever. And one time, I was writing an emotional prayer to God. And I asked that question again. Why am I here? And it hit me. You are here to pursue and to be pursued. Now, that's up to you to decide whether that was from God or not, but I know what I decided. Excuse me. But what does that mean? What does it mean to pursue and to be pursued? The Passion Translation of Proverbs 8.17 says, I will show my love to those who passionately love me, for they will search and search continually until they find me. Another way of saying this verse would be, I will pursue those who love me with a great passion, for they will pursue me until they find me. The simple word change from love and search to pursue has the same meaning here. But when we put this verse into action, it totally redefines everything about this verse. And that is because pursue is the action form of faith. When we pursue God, we are acting on our faith. Anytime we do anything for God, we are pursuing Him. We are pursuing the faith that we have declared for Him. So what does faith in action look like? Now, faith is a pretty broad term, but Webster's Dictionary defines faith as belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Once we have faith, which we now know means trust and loyalty to God, we must act on that faith. We must pursue that faith. Just as the one we have faith in is pursuing us. Now let's go back to that verse in Proverbs. The Caleb translation, if you will. I will pursue those who love me with a great passion, for they will pursue me until they find me. We know that God is pursuing us and that He is faithful because faith pursues. We can pursue God because we can trust in Him. We have faith in His promises. Now, if you did not have faith that Jesus is and was and is to come, then it would be foolish to, as Jesus said it, sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. Now, when we follow Christ, He doesn't require us to give up everything. 
But we have to be willing to give up everything when we follow Christ. Let's see here. Now think if he were to call upon all of us right now to give up our house, our car, our family, and our friends and go put our life on the line. What would we do? What if we were in Abraham's place when God called on him to sacrifice his son? Would we be able to follow through? Now, we know at the end of that story that God stopped Abraham, providing a ram in his son's stead. But how much faith would it take to know that it's going to be okay in the hard times? But don't we already go through that at some point? When we give 10% to the church, Firstly, we have to know that that's going to be put to good use. But much more importantly than that, we must know that God will get us by without that. Or when we give up a loved one. How anger so often sets in that it wasn't their time. But we have to trust and have faith that God knows what needs to happen. Because God is looking at eternity and not just today. Therefore, faith in action is trusting. Faith in action is also passionate. Now, my first time going to Smoky Mountain Christian Camp, oh boy, let me get to tell you, totally changed my life. Now, I grew up being a Christian and going to church, but not really knowing who Jesus really is. Now, the day I want to speak about, very important day in my life. All the campers were in the chapel at camp, and John, who is still the youth minister at the time, was in front giving a sermon about getting one more, always trying to reach another believer. And me being me, I started to zone out. I'm a normal teenager, so anytime an adult talks in front of us longer than five minutes, I'm gone. But. Uh, but then I realized something. I realized that John was crying. And I remember thinking, well, that can't be right. Men only cry if something's really wrong, right? But then I realized something else. This is way bigger than just coming to church on Sunday morning. This is way bigger than just saying an empty prayer before we go to bed or before a meal. This is bigger than just me. And I remember right then finding a need that hasn't left me since to find that passion that all of us saw in John's tears right there. I wanted to be passionate for God. Just as God is passionate for me. Now that's a crazy thought. Why would the creator of the universe be passionate about me? But he is. He proved it in that he sent his son to die for us. Now we can't even fathom the amount of faith and trust that Abraham had to have had to sacrifice his son. But God did the exact same thing. 
Now, if that doesn't show passion, then I don't know what does. The Bible says in Revelation 19.7, Let us rejoice, be glad, and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. We are His bride. Now, what does that look like? There's a quote from Michael Scott in a TV show called The Office, and he says, Webster's Dictionary defines wedding as a fusion of two metals with a hot torch. Well, you know something? I think you guys are two metals. Gold medals. <laughs> now, obviously, he's talking about welding right here. But that's exactly what the wedding between us and Christ is. It's a passionate fusion of ourselves to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let's see here. And anything that is passionate pursues what it's passionate about. We know that God is passionate for us because His Son came and died for us. Therefore, faith is passionate. Even if we don't always feel passionate. In fact, sometimes we may feel the opposite. There are times when even the strongest believers have to turn to God and beg for help. Billy Graham, one of my heroes, and he's also known as America's pastor, said, The Christian lifestyle is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement where I have to turn to God with tears in my eyes and say, Oh God, forgive me. Help me. Through Christ alone can His church and me be restored. But in these times, we can find comfort because we know that He too is pursuing us. One great example of this is the Apostle Paul. As Paul spent much of his time in prison. Now, I don't know how y'all feel about prison, but it doesn't sound like too much fun to me. In fact, prison literally means being entrapped and being withheld of joy. But while Paul was in prison, when most people would be complaining or whining, Paul wrote. Now, he, he didn't write to complain. He wrote to help others with a great attitude of hope and faith. In fact, the Bible says that Paul sang joyful songs of praise to the Lord. He said that it is a blessing to suffer for Christ. Now, I want to make it clear that God did not make Paul go to prison. God doesn't cause the bad times in our life. Any wrong in the world is a perversion of God's good created by either our own sin, the sins of others, or by the enemy. However, God is able to work through those times. Paul was joyful in prison because he knew that it was worth it. He knew that God would work through it. Just as we can be joyful in these times. Because we can find comfort. Because we know that he too is pursuing us. Paul wrote in Romans 8.18, again out of the Passion Translation. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. 
Now, what I'm about to say may sound very radical for today. So listen closely. God doesn't have our present happiness and comfort as a main priority. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants you to be happy. But how can we be satisfied with water if we've never felt thirst? How can we be satisfied with each other's company if we've never been lonely? Sometimes we ask God to remove these inconveniences in our life. And sometimes it's way bigger than just an inconvenience. Sometimes we ask God to take something really big, like losing a loved one or sickness. But He doesn't. And that's because God is looking at the big picture and not just today. And God has mastered the art of being comfortable in the uncomfortable. As He will never ask us to do something that He Himself won't do, then He must do this. He proved it that He sent His Son to die for us on the cross. He limited Himself to a man on earth. Now surely Jesus could have listened to Satan as he roamed the desert. Surely he could have turned the rocks into bread and water. Surely he could have sent an army of angels to save him at the cross. But he didn't. He limited himself to a man. Tempted. Tried. Just as we are. Uncomfortable. Hebrews 4.15 says... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. I also imagine that Jesus was pretty uncomfortable on that cross. Taking the punishment for all the sin that he did not commit. Now taking that incomprehensible burden had to be uncomfortable say the least. So surely we can follow in his footsteps and invite the new person at work to church and pay for someone's meal even if we don't know them. Talk to somebody we haven't talked to before. Serving isn't supposed to be comfortable. Now about two months ago or so now, the youth group went to volunteer at the Love Kitchen in Knoxville. Now we were so blessed to be able to work there together and have fellowship there together. It was fantastic. We loved it so much that, in fact, we're going back there today, and uh, we were really looking forward to it. But uh, the teens did great. They, uh, if you were there watching them, it would seem like they'd been working there for years. They were doing so well. But we had a big oil cart full of onions. Now that cart had hundreds of onions. And guess what we had to do? We had to peel and cut each and every one of those onions. Now not everybody was cutting onions. Some people were doing the dishes and preparing chicken and cleaning. But cutting those onions was uncomfortable. Can I get the next slide, please? Now some people... We're three rooms down from where we were cutting the onions. And I'll tell you, there wasn't a dry eye in the entire building. 
And while that was uncomfortable, we embraced it. And we served through it. And we saw so much good come from it. Now, serving can be pretty awkward and uncomfortable. But that doesn't stop God. So why should it stop us? After all, faith finds comfort in being uncomfortable. The Passion Translation of Matthew 18, 3-4 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Faith is childlike. Now, childlike means several things here. One, children depend on others to get by. Just as in faith, we must trust on God and rely on Him. Now, a child is vulnerable without their family. Just as we must make ourselves vulnerable before God. We do that by lying, excuse me, by laying our life in front of Him. Giving Him everything. Now in faith, we also must make ourselves vulnerable before other Christians. I love to say that each Christian and each person has their own book of the Bible. Our story and our testimony can help others who are going through similar situations. As well as the fact that sharing our past can release some weight we may not even know we're still carrying around. But to do that, we have to make ourselves vulnerable, which is uncomfortable. Faith is also childlike in that a child asks many questions. Now, it's been my finding that God does not want blind faith. When we ask questions, it gives God an opportunity to come into our lives and be there for us. Now, I've had my times where I've been mad at God, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because when we're mad at God, and we look for as to why we are mad at God, it gives God the floor. It allows Him to prove us wrong. It's just like when someone's telling you something you know is wrong, and you're just sitting there waiting. Well, actually, no. When we ask questions, we give Him the floor. We allow ourselves to focus on Him. Now, I've found that we stray from the faith when we focus on other people, on other Christians, or our own lives, instead of focusing and researching God. And finally, faith is childlike in that it is relational. A child needs human interaction to fully develop their minds. The development of the brain can be very hurt if it doesn't have enough human interaction early on. Now, I wish I had enough time to go over all the stats on this, but I don't. So I'll just say that God can also be very hurt when we ignore Him. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. But because God is faithful and faith is relational, that means that God must be too. 
He proves it that He gifted us His Holy Spirit so that He may be with us always and that He sent His Son down on earth to be with us and to die for us on a cross. Now all of this goes back to Proverbs 18, verse 3. I will pursue those who love me with a great passion, for they will pursue me until they find me. Now I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team back up as I start to summarize. We know that faith in action is trusting because Jesus fulfills his promises. We know that faith is childlike because God is relational. We know that faith is passionate because God is passionate. We know that faith finds comfort in being uncomfortable because Jesus demonstrated that to us as he lived and died for us on a cross. Finally, we know that faith pursues because God pursues us. Now, as I close, I want to follow John's example and ask each and every one of you to look into your own lives and find, what do I need to do about it? Maybe I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe I need to devote more of myself to Him. Maybe I just need to go up to the altar or to someone to pray for you and say, and do that even if it isn't comfortable. Let us worship as we make whatever decisions we need to make.